Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, remember how we used to complain there's nothing to watch on TV? Nowadays, there might be too much to watch. From Abbott Elementary to The Last of Us, new shows seem to be cropping up every day as a seemingly overwhelming number of new streaming services crowd our screens. Netflix, Paramount, YouTube TV, IMDb TV, Sling TV, Peacock. Hulu Live, Fubo TV, Prime Video, and Disney Plus, HBO Max, All Black, The Brit Box, ESPN Plus. But with the rise of streaming services comes the fall of cable. A new report reveals fewer than half of American households now have a cable subscription. How has this impacted not just traditional TV watching, but how consumers enjoy the entire spectrum of entertainment one click away? Later in the show, local food banks are already overwhelmed with the numbers of people trying to fill up their empty cupboards. Now they are bracing for those numbers to increase even more. When you think of numbers in Massachusetts, it was one in eight before COVID. It's now one in three. Just in time for National Nutrition Month, federal cutbacks to food assistance programs. But first, joining me remotely, Alyssa Wilkinson, senior culture reporter and critic for Vox. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, it's great to be here. James K. Wilcox, senior electronics editor for Consumer Reports. Welcome, Jim. Hi, thanks for having me. And Jana Arbanas, vice chair for telecom media and entertainment at Deloitte. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited for the conversation. Me too. Um, So I just want to lift up those trends. So less than half of um, all consumers who would have had cable are now have cable and are watching cable. It's 48% according to some of the latest trends. Um, and a whole lot of people are signed on to streaming services, though it's difficult, as we'll discuss, to figure out just how many <laughs> subscriptions they have, how much they're watching. And at the same time, it appears that some of the streaming services are not doing so well financially. So this is a very interesting time. I'm just fascinated by all of it. First of all, let's start with just the impact of cable um, and it's being ditched, really, that's the word to use, by a whole lot of people. Uh, Jenna, I'll I'll start with you. Um, Why and um, what's the impact on streaming and everything else? Well, I think you actually hit the nail on the head, right? I think there are some really great shows that are coming out from a streaming perspective that are really competing with what was available uh, to people on cable. And so people are excited about the choices, the options. They're excited about the diversity of content that's out there. Um, There's a streamer uh, for everyone, right? Depending upon you know, your niche, um, you know, whatever you desire, whatever you align to, you can find that through streaming, which is not necessarily true for cable. And so I think people are excited about the choice. 
Uh, to your point, though, I do think that they're we're getting to a point of being overwhelming in terms of the choices that they have available to them. But it's really, I think, the the decline of cable is a result of you know the streaming services offering such premium content um, on a very much more regular basis, frankly, and that that content is really great and people are excited about the options. Um, you know, as a converse to what they were experiencing with cable. Now, Alyssa, I think I guess I'm one of the diminishing few. I have cable, but I also have a lot of streaming mm-hmm. services. Me too. I don't have cable, um, but I actually have never had cable. I think I'm at the top end of the age cohort who never got around to getting cable. And then once streaming appeared, you know, that's what we subscribe to. I think one thing that's really appealing about streaming is that, um, you know, it doesn't require any fancy footwork or technology to just watch things whenever you want to watch them and to stop them and pause them and walk away and come back or whatever. Um, I think that also is something that's appealing. Of course, there are things that can make that kind of possible if you remember to record it or whatever on cable. But um, for a lot of people, I think, you know, that that's really kind of the appeal. And to the point where, you know, I know people in their early 20s who have never watched TV on, you know, on sort of the broadcast schedule ever. That that doesn't even enter their brain space as something you might do. Um, so, you know, that that was a pretty seismic change that happened pretty quickly. And are these the children of folks that did have cable or people that uh, are the children are are they the children of people who never had cable and sort of were streaming people all along? Well, who are they? You know, I, I I think I think they're just young, you know, like it's it's the point at which they were making decisions about what they wanted to watch was the point when Netflix was available to them um, and maybe, you know, maybe some other streaming services. But you become very accustomed very quickly to just being able to pop on an episode of Friends when you want to watch an episode of Friends. And I remember when Friends was airing originally and you had to like make a date with your TV. That's just not really going to hack it for a lot of people, um, you know, in this day and age, especially with the increase of, you know, irregular work schedules or just, you know, lots and lots and lots of different options for how you can spend your time. Hmm. I think, Alyssa, that's a great point. And the other thing I would just highlight there that I see not only with myself, um, but also with my children, like to your point, the constraints um, of cable TV are are just foreign to them, right? Mm-hmm. They want it on demand when they want it, wherever they want it, right? So my children are watching more um, entertainment on their phone or on an iPad, mm-hmm. on a plane, right? Um, getting that content wherever they want it, whenever they want it is another sort of advantage, right, that streamers have over cable. All right, Jim, weigh in about cable. So, you know, obviously there's a demographic shift, as we've talked about already, you know, with uh, younger people just really not ever buying into that sort of, you know, destination TV that a lot of us of my generation grew up with. Um, But there's, you know, another thing that's happened in terms of people, even people who are older who got used to cable, who are ditching it. Um, And that's that sort of the legacy of people's hatred toward their cable company is continuing. Initially, Mm -hmm. it was all about price. Um, but, you know, if if you're subscribing to multiple streaming services, you're probably not saving as much money as you thought you would. But people hate the add on fees that get tacked onto their bill that they don't expect. And, you know, they hate the customer service for the cable company. So once there was a viable alternative, and I'd argue that 
Um, a lot of it really came about when you were able to get network TV, your local broadcast via streaming. Mm -hmm. That changed the equation for a lot of people because a lot of these customers who would have stayed with cable, um, you know, really decided, oh, there's another option that I can do. And when it started out, those services were only $35 a month compared to a TV bill that at the time was about $100. So there were a lot of significant savings. Of course, we've seen steady price increases from all of those cable replacement types of services, the YouTube TVs, the Hulu Plus Live TVs. Most of them are now $65, $75. And, you know, AT&T's uh, DirecTV streaming service is close to $100. So I think that the anticipation of saving a lot of money was what drove people um, initially to leave cable. But I think a lot of people are finding they're not saving quite as much, but they do find that they much prefer dealing with streaming than they do with a traditional pay TV company. Because they're not going back to cable. That's not what we're saying. And is cable doing anything to sort of uh, reach out to these people or recognize what the issues are and try to get some back or get some for the first time? I mean, I'd argue not enough because, you know, they lost almost 4 million customers last year, and that was an accelerated rate compared to the year before. So we do see, you know, bundles still are compelling to some people. Um, you know, the reality of cutting the cord is that most people are actually not cutting the cord. They're just severing one of the stems of it because they still are going to that same company in most instances to get their internet service. You know, we've actually seen some cable companies get out of the TV business. It's it's a it's a hard business to run. It's expensive. You have carriage fights and blackouts and things like that. So I think that you may see more cable companies just become pure internet plays. And you know, the other part of the triple play, which was the landline telephone, fewer and fewer people opt for that. So the bundle has been you know a little bit less compelling. But we are seeing some cable companies offer lower price tiers trying to target, you know, some, you know, some of the things we've seen is, you know, that you, you may be able to remove some of the sports from a package, which typically is the highest cost. Because for years, you know, people who don't watch sports subsidizes the cost of sports for everyone else. Um, so we do see cable companies doing that, but it's just really a hard road for them. Sports, uh, Janet, you make the point that that, that is what has kept people on cable. But if that moves off, right. as you're seeing some indication it might, then we're in a whole other world. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was, um, you know, per the previous point, some people were holding on to cable for that local news and for, for sports. Um, they knew exactly where to go, when it would be on, when the, when the game was being played. And that's starting to change, right? You've seen some really massive deals where streamers have um, identified certain events or specific types of games that they want to be playing. And so consumers are getting, a little, those that like sports <laughs> um, are, are getting frustrated a little bit just in terms of knowing where to go and when to go in order to see the game that they want to see. So on one hand, the streamers would say that they're creating, um, you know, a, a more rich fan experience and trying to bring together a set of, of games and, and be the one-stop shop. Um, on the other hand, the sports teams themselves are looking for, for the best outcome, right? Um, and so in, that, in, in some cases, that means those games are fractured across a set of streamers, and therefore the consumer is left wondering, do I need to buy five you know, streaming services um, or subscribe to five streaming services in order to get, you know, the, the NFL season. Well, here's what's happening, Alyssa. Um, there 
maybe doing that, but then they leave. Um, so there apparently is a whole world, a whole community who join these things, join the streaming services and get out. Yep. And they're called churners. Talk about that. Well, I I have been one of them myself, right? You, <laughs> you find out that a particular show is going to be on a service um, that you want to watch or you're curious about or your friends keep talking about it. You join you, you know, you stay for a month, maybe you get a free month, that's even better. Um, and then you quit and go subscribe to another one. And if you have limited income, that makes perfect sense, right? If the show is literally the only thing you want to watch on that streaming service, why would you stick around? Um, and on top of it, it's very confusing and kind of baffling that we haven't fixed this problem. It's very confusing to figure out where things are <laughs> and oh, what's talk there, about it you know yeah. and you there are ways i don't know that if everyone knows that if you just google a movie for instance uh, google will tell you where you can watch it right now which is very very useful when movies are always jumping around between services but generally you know if you're if you don't have hundreds of dollars a month to just spend on streamers that you might maybe want to look at well of course you're going to pick one or two that you know have what you want to watch um and this is becoming an increasing problem because you know Netflix for instance recently announced that they're ditching arrested development which maybe everyone who's ever going to watch arrested development has um but maybe not you know and that's a bummer now how am i going to watch arrested development if i need that fix or hbo is dumping lots of their uh, their material as well, you know, and they all have business reasons for doing this. And I have no idea how valid those business reasons are. But it is true that for a customer, it becomes increasingly frustrating when you suddenly can't watch the show that you thought you were going to be able to watch and you just cancel your subscription. Yeah, there you go. So um, Jim, the churn and leave, as as it's called, um, some people think maybe uh, other than what, what Alyssa has outlined, uh, may definitely have been um, uh, sparked by Netflix announcing changes to its system. I mean, Netflix is the OG of all of this. Um, the the original was we're going to put the whole season on there. We're going to there's no ads. Don't worry about it. And now they're going to add ads and charging for password sharing, which is they've already started in other countries. Um, uh, here is a clip uh, talking about the fact that they expect to start charging in the U.S. very soon. The streaming giant is moving ahead with plans to no longer allow customers to uh, share passwords for free. That change is expected to begin at the end of March and not for the first time. And Netflix could be uh, actually starting a trend when it comes to streaming businesses. Do you believe that, Jim? Um, if they their move, because they're the OG, will put everybody else in a place to do the same thing? You know, I'm not really sure, and I don't. I don't think they're really sure at this point. Uh, most of what they've done so far has been testing in, um, you know, foreign markets. Um, U.S. consumers tend to be a little bit different in a lot of ways. You know, clearly churn is is the biggest. I think the biggest problem for the industry, um, and because of that, you have to find ways to keep people tied to your service. And typically, the way you do that is by generating either proprietary, you know, licensing proprietary content or developing original content. And original content is really, really expensive to make. So if you look at all of the, you know, the major services, um, they all lost close to $11 billion last year. And so you start seeing like with Paramount, you know, they're combining Showtime and they're raising prices. Peacock has killed their free tier. Um, you know, AMC said that they're going to reduce their expenditures on content by 20%. You know, Warner Brothers took a big hit. 
Um, and, you know, I think that they're all trying to figure out a way to keep people tied to you. Um, you know, Netflix says they lose $100 million a year to password sharing. Um, and they're arguing that that affects their ability to create great content. Um, I would argue that they should stop spending so much money on poor content and focus on, on, on better titles and all. And certainly they have that. But I think a couple of years ago, it was just a free for all where Netflix, just like, a, you know, like a like a bank that didn't have um, a, a gate on it. And so I think we're now in a new reality of people having to make a business out of this when you're spending VC money or you're part of a huge company and they don't care if you if your little streaming service is a, is a profit center. That's one thing. But all of these companies now are facing business realities of trying to make these services a profitable business for them. And so I think we're going to see a lot of experimentation in terms of one, how to keep, you know, customers and maybe we'll see, you know, some crackdown on, on password sharing, but I really think it's, you know, we're not sure how that's really going to play out and how vigilant they're going to be actually about it and how much revenue they're going to be able to derive from it. You know, we've seen anywhere from three to seven or $7 or so to have a new account established um, onto the master account. So um, I, I think that the jury's still out on how effective that's going to be and, and how sort of mean Netflix will be about it. Now, Jenna, your point is that options are really what drives all of this. And, and of course, profitability plays a huge part in what Jim has said and what Alyssa has said about the expensiveness of making original content, which in the past, in the recent past, I would say, um, that's what the options have been, the great content, the original content, because that separates you from you know, old episodes of Friends, generally speaking. Um, but if that's going away, are folks going to really, consumers take a really hard look at, listen, I'm not getting what you all promised in terms of original content. Uh, so that's not really a good option for me. Yeah, absolutely. I would say not only um, is it the content and trying to chase the content and trying to get access to the, the content that you're looking to watch, but it's also the cost. I would say, you know, just given some of the economic conditions Today, I think people are scrutinizing their, you know, um, expenses and looking for ways to cut costs. And therefore, when they look at, you know, six streaming services, some of which they don't watch because they don't think that the content is relevant or they can't find the content that they're looking for. I think that that is ripe for people to sort of take a, a harder look at how much they're spending and whether or not that makes sense, which, again, then leads to the churn uh, that you were referring to. And what we're seeing is that more streamers are looking at more options to your point i think in terms of trying to maintain a longer relationship with consumers try to prevent that churn um they're offering different tiers right we have we still have consumers who are happy to pay um a, a more premium price get that content as and when it's available be able to binge it the way that they want to without ads but there's also other consumers who are who are maybe willing to pay a reduced cost and, and watch some ads, tolerate some ads. And then there's even another set of subscribers that would, would happily, you know, watch even more ads for free service. Um, and that just enables you to cater to all the different needs of consumers that are out there. Um, and really, when you have that sort of free ad-supported service, it enables you to extend the life of your relationship with the consumer, which I think absolutely ties into profitability over time. And streamers then can start to think about when they think about profitability, not only the subscription fee that they're charging, but the ad revenue that could be generated through, you know, those other options. So I think options are super important. They will continue to be important as people scrutinize 
you know, which services they want to maintain. Um, and so that you're kind of casting a wide net and catering to all the different needs that consumers have. Alyssa, I we were amused um, in uh, prepping for this segment that your point you pointed out the SNL skit um, because one of the ways to cut costs, of course, is to cut back um, on the original content, and usually the original content came with famous, well-known people who cost a lot of money. <laughs> so you pointed out this uh, recent SNL skit that made fun of the fact that so many of the famous actors are on streaming services, but no one watches them. Here it goes. Okay, let's do um, Samuel L. Jackson. Everyone knows him, right? This past year, Samuel L. Jackson starred in this critically acclaimed drama on Apple TV. Wednesday. No, sorry, it was the last days of Ptolemy Gray. Oh, come on, you've got to be kidding me. I'm totally serious. Jack, please, I'm sure these shows are great, but where did all the big popular movies go? Oh, they're still here. They're just in your phone, and you can watch them on the toilet. <laughs> Alyssa, say more about this. I, you know, when I saw this skit, I didn't really get it the first time. Then I really understood what it was about. But go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's funny because I, <laughs> for a living, write about movies and TV. And I was watching this sketch with my husband, and, you know, halfway through, I was like, okay, well, I know all these things. And then they got to that one, and I was like, nope, never heard of this. <laughs> For all I know, they made it up on the spot. Um, you know, but you're right. There was this perception that maybe if we get famous people into these shows um, or, you know, movies that we're putting on our streamer, that that will bring people in. And I think it may be indicative of a broader thing that people are really starting to talk about more in entertainment, which is that movie stars just uh, don't don't have the same draw that they used to i think because there's more competition there's not really the same kinds of roles out there for them or the same recognition and also if you're talking about a younger crowd you know they have to compete with um with influencers on tiktok for their attention it's not just other movie stars and so that is not a viable way to get people to watch your show um what people are really looking for i think is what their friends are looking for which is kind of a you know, a catch 22, um, in a sense, but the shows that seem to break out are the ones that, you know, someone sees and someone influential maybe talks about it and then other people start to watch it and then people talk about it. It's word of mouth. Um, it's not going to be a show that you watch because it comes on after the show you want to watch. Like it, that's how it used to be. Um, and it's just harder to know, but as, as the content, uh, glut gets cut back over the next few years, it'll be really interesting to see if people's viewing habits change again, or if they, you know, remain kind of like sort of scattershot all over the place. And meanwhile, Meryl Streep is in this show that you've never heard of. And it's very <laughs> Only murders in the building. I do know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Now back to the free uh, tier or, or service or emphasis, um, as uh, Jana has uh, raised. I'm really intrigued by this because um, Tubi came forth uh big time in a Super Bowl ad that tricked a lot of viewers into thinking their TV had changed channels from the Super Bowl to a mo to a movie on Tubi. Welcome back to Super Bowl 57. So far, Greg, the game going like you expected? Yeah, and so far, these teams, they've really... So 
So after the ad, you hear a family reacting to the prank ad because so many people went scrambling for their remotes to change the channel back to the Super Bowl. But Tubi was making the point that they exist, or it exists, and um, and that their service is free. Jim, free. This is going to be the way of the future, you think? So, I mean, free is, is the biggest part, you know, growing part of the business right now. So, you know, they expect revenues, ad revenues to double from now until like 226. You know, the thing is like with Tubi, they did exactly what they wanted to do is they got people talking about the commercial. A lot of people were sort of shocked, but you paid attention to it. You know, it's expensive to have, I think it was a 15 second ad, so it wasn't very long, but people paid attention to it. And it sort of was interesting because it really was showing Tubi to be sort of a troublemaker in the streaming world versus just another company with branding or, you know, they showed a title or something. So I thought that it was pretty effective for them. Um, You know, the thing with streaming, though, is uh, with the free streaming services is that a lot of them have the same content. So they're going to be in the same position as some of the subscription services in that they want to get people to watch their channel versus another. So how are they going to differentiate themselves? And again, that comes into, uh, you know, you can't work on price because you're not paying for it. So some of it's going to be related to, you know, the ad loads and whether they're really annoying. There's too many ads. They keep seeing the same ad. So that is, you know, sort of, you know, putting a lot of responsibility on the company to do the ad load correctly. Um, but the other thing, too, is, you know, are you going to create original content? We see a lot of, you know, Tubi said that they're going to have 50 new original shows. We've seen uh, the Roku channel doing the same thing. So, you know, it's early on right now, but they're going to be in the same situation where they have to give consumers a reason that they're going to watch Tubi versus Pluto versus, you know, Amazon Freebie, since the way that they started was really licensing a lot of the same content, which was older shows and movies. So it's uh, really incumbent on them to give consumers a reason to choose one service over another. But as you pointed out, they already have 60 million users. That ain't nothing. Um, and obviously they're free, so that's some attraction. But um, Jim, since you deal with electronics as well, I don't think their platform's very good. So for me, it's not even the ad load. It's that just navigating them, I find annoying. Yeah. So, you know, one of the interesting things about the free streaming services is that some of the biggest ones are actually owned by bigger media companies. So they've been acquired, you know, Tubi's owned by Fox. You know, I read recently that Fox turned down a $2 billion offer for someone to buy that from them. You know, Zumo is a partnership between Comcast and Charter. Pluto TV is owned by Paramount. So, you know, they know how to do a better interface. Um, And I think for a lot of the companies, that do own both an ad streaming service and a subscription service, they need to figure out the right business model. And is it that the Paramount experience is just so much better than the Pluto TV experience that, you know, you're willing to pay for it. Um, But clearly, you know, these services started out um, as upstarts and probably didn't have the best technology and all. But I think that you'll see the companies become more sophisticated. Uh, You know, particularly consumers, you know, are just hitting a ceiling in terms of how many paid subscription services they're gonna go for. So um, the choice is either that, you know, you give them something free or they're gonna find some other place to go. Well, I will say, and I say this all the time, so sorry if I repeated myself, Netflix has the best best interface. You can re, you go forward fast. You can go back fast. You can hop to the next thing. 
even Prime Video, you would think Amazon could do this well. I find them annoying. So to me, one of the things that's going to drive uh, some consumers, and maybe I'm a very uh, a part of a very small group away, is that whether or not you feel like putting up with the hassle of dealing with the interface to watch whatever it is. But I digress. Alyssa, is free the way to go? Is that the wave of the future? I mean, free always sounds good to me, uh, but sometimes you get what you pay for, which, um, you know, you, well, there is a reason that people gravitated towards streaming services and even towards cable was because there was less commercials, fewer commercials to watch, right? Um, But it is kind of funny to me that what we seem to be doing is like reinventing the wheel. (laughs) We, I used to watch free TV all the time. And recently I had to buy a, you know, an antenna in order to be able to watch free TV again. Um, And there are, of course, tons and tons of people who still tend to watch free TV, right? There are many, many, many households in America we know where the TV is just kind of on in the background. Um, And they're probably not just leaving up a streaming service, although I could be wrong about that. But, you know, there's a kind of a rhythm to the day that's ticked out by by TV. Um, and if it's free, you might you might do that. One one funny thing I have found uh, when I talk to, again, um, some of like my students who are undergraduates is they haven't really watched a ton of commercials um, in their entertainment, in their lives. But when they are watching something with commercials, they're like, oh, it's kind of nice. Like you can get up and get a snack and go to the bathroom. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, and I'm, wow. not, I'm not that old. It's I wasn't that long ago that I was in their shoes but um but my experience was totally different and you know when you can pause something sometimes you just turn it off so so there's there's all kinds of opportunities i think for people to rethink uh what we used to have and think about it in a new and better way um but i don't know if we're in you know if a company is in a huge financial crunch how how well they're going to do that All right. So, Jana, if 37 percent of people who subscribe to streaming services, you know, leave, cancel, is free the the thing that's going to bring people back? I think so. Again, it it doesn't maybe necessarily have to be free, but at a discounted price, I think for sure. I think you're lowering sort of the barrier um, for a subscriber to stick with you. Um, So when they look at their complement and they say, well, I've been watching this, I've been praying, paying for the premium kind of content, but I'm happy to downgrade in this period, maybe between seasons of my favorite show, I can downgrade to a free ad supported service, watch it as and when I will, but then maybe upgrade again when I'm ready to watch another season instead of losing that subscriber entirely. Um, I do think that there's a benefit to that, like extending that relationship with consumers. I mean, it certainly does play into profitability again, as they think about sort of the ad revenue versus the subscription revenue. So I think it's here to stay. I think it's going to grow. I predict that most um, of our streaming services will get to uh, a free ad supported service as an option, again, just because there has to be, you know, an extended relationship with these consumers. And I do hope um, to Jim's point that that then leads to starting to learn a little bit more about your consumer. If you brought in your consumer base, you brought in, you know, the ads that you're getting um, such that they, they they don't become repetitive. You might have an ability to make them more relevant to the individual. In fact, I wonder at some point if streamers will take a page out of the social media playbook right, where, you know, ads are pretty personalized. In fact, a lot of people opt to follow an influencer who really is, you know, advertising products. 
um, often at the end of the day. So I do wonder if we'll start to see streamers really try to get to know their consumers better once they have them on their platform for a longer period of time. All right. So what do you think we can expect to see very soon as this landscape keeps changing, Alyssa? I I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew. Like, I wish I had a crystal ball. But even five years ago, I wouldn't have foreseen where we are today. I think we're going to see fewer streamers. Um, I think we're going to perhaps see them combine their forces more. Um, that would make sense. Um, although, of course, that would call that would be uh, only contingent on companies wanting to work together, which is not something that's always been true. But we keep seeing consolidation in entertainment. So that would make sense. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're going to see many fewer creative people getting the chance to tell their stories. And one thing that we do know very well about Hollywood is that uh, they kind of gravitate towards whatever the least risky thing is um, in times of trouble and even not times of trouble. And so, you know, that that right now seems to mean reboots for people and, you know, kind of going back to things that they know worked the first time around. So let's try it the second time around. Um, they haven't figured out how to make a hit. <laughs> they don't, you know, they don't know the, there's no sufficient conditions to guarantee a hit. And so, you know, we're just going to see less of things. And I hope this isn't true, but I think we may see less diversity in who uh, the companies are ready to take a risk on. And unfortunately, that means we may see a lot of the newer voices that have been brought into entertainment getting pushed back out. But you know, all it takes is a visionary person who's willing to take some risks and actually has some um, some hits for that to change. Jim, what do you say? I think one of the big challenges for um, the industry is that it, it's just streaming has become a lot more complicated for consumers to manage. So, you know, in some ways they've traded convenience and simplicity that they've always known through traditional TV for more and better options. But it just, you know, as we pointed out before, it makes it very difficult sometimes to find out where that show you were watching actually, you know, what, what service it's on. So I expect to see them start to employ, you know, technologies. Um, there's a technology built into TVs called ACR, Automatic Content Recognition, which basically knows everything you watch on that TV, how long you watched it, and combine that with artificial intelligence to create greater personalization. Um, and that can even happen like on the level of a program guide that doesn't care where these shows exist anymore, but it's able to, based on which services you subscribe to and which shows you watch, integrate it into a uniform platform guide so that when you turn it on, it looks a little bit more like what linear TV used to. Um, I think, you know, as we mentioned before, one of the challenges is just to make this a business that works from an economic sense. Um, so I think we'll see a lot more experimentation. Um, you know, I, I think you might start seeing more bundles like what Disney is doing with uh, Hulu and ESPN to try to increase the perceived value of paying for a subscription. Um, but I do think it's a time, you know, I, I thought by now that we would have figured it all out. Um, you know, streaming to me, I've been covering this probably now for seven or eight years. Um, it still, to me, seems like it's still in the experimentation phase where a lot of these companies are trying different things finding what the magic price points are, what's the right amount of content, what's the right amount of content spend, that kind of thing. So um, I think that, you know, if we were to do this panel next year, I think we'd be talking about a lot of the same things. 
Interesting. So I'm thinking if we do it next year, Jim, um, we'll be talking about how it looks like regular old TV and possibly cable, even <laughs> the way we've been discussing today. But we'll see. And by the way, I intend to do this panel again <laughs> at some point. So I thank you all for joining me today. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Great being here. Alyssa Wilkinson is the senior culture reporter and critic for Vox. James K. Wilcox is the senior electronics editor for Kasuba Reports. And Jana Arbenas is the vice chair for telecom media and entertainment at Deloitte. Coming up, one in 14 adults and one in 11 children in Massachusetts don't know where their next meal is coming from. And despite federal food assistance, many must still turn to local food banks to stretch their limited food dollars. Recent cutbacks in federal food payments, along with a steep increase in food prices, means that food banks can expect to be overwhelmed with new clients. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. 